Well, it's good to be here at Nickelodeon. You gotta, you gotta love Kids Church microphones. You can tell this is a Kids Church microphone. It's been dropped one or two times. So. Man, it's so good to be here. I just love ARC. Uh, ARC has saved our life uh, several years ago, and we were struggling seven years of uh, struggle. We have seven years of famine, really, in our church, and in, in that last seven years, we've had seven years of plenty. And that's exactly what I mean and what's going on. So to God be the glory, and it's been so exciting the last seven years, the first seven not so exciting. But uh, before I go any further, I want to tell you, my wife is here. Where'd she go? Diane, where'd you go? There she is, my wife. Get up for Diane Nefstad, ladies and gentlemen. Love that woman, and she has borne me four children. We have four girls. We had four girls under the age of two when they were first born. A two-year-old, a one-year-old, and twins were zero. And uh, now they're 18, 17, and twins are 16. So that's because we're, we're just really good planners. <laughs> but we started the church when I was 24 years old. And um, so very, very, very crazy. And I'm fifth generation pastor on both sides of the family. So um, for a long time, it was kind of insinuating. He just built a great church by preaching your guts out and having great worship. And for us, it just wasn't working. We were really frustrated and struggling and praying, Oh God, oh God, who can I pass this church on to? Because apparently I've hit my lid and uh, I, I need somebody to take this church to where it really needs to go. So um, anyway, we started a prayer meeting and from that learned how to build people in growth track and some of the other stuff that you'll learn here today and tomorrow. And uh, then finally, we just really got on the, the wagon with ARC, and um, they changed our life. So I'm really grateful to ARC, and I'm so thankful that all of you guys are here. And I'm glad that out, out, out of all the sessions you picked this one, it means you have a heart to reach more people. And um, I, I'm, I don't have much to say because the title of this actually said it all. It's like a paragraph in your booklet. If anybody noticed, I think it's the longest one ever. But we're talking about millennials today. And millennials, that's a difficult subject because we got a group of people who they look around and they're like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to be religious. I'm... I'm that guy, so so many people have been turned off by church, and they don't like organized religion. And they don't like it for several reasons. They think it's unnecessary, they think it's controlling, they think it's antiquated. And with all the information that they have at their fingertips now, on every vlog and blog and social media post, they have actually made a decision to step away from organized church. And they say this though, but I'm still spiritual. Or but I still believe. And I just don't need church to to be spiritual. Now here's the problem with that. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, talking in the context of husbands and wives, that Jesus Christ is the head, the church is His body, of which He is the Savior. Christ is the head, the church is His body. Say that with me. Christ is the head, the church is His body. One more time. Christ is the head, the church is His body. Okay, look at me. You can't decapitate Jesus. But there's a generation that has tried to. I'll take Jesus, but not His body. I'll take Jesus, but not His church, not His bride. And obviously that's not okay with Jesus to say, I love you, but I hate your bride. I mean, I wouldn't be okay with that if you said, hey, Sean, we love you, but can't stand Diana, you know. That wouldn't be okay with me. And it's not okay with God, but yet we've had a generation that has felt justified in stepping away from church. And they call it organized church, organized religion. But there's been this, really, and we kind of understand why, like if we dissect it, we have a branding problem. As a church, we have a branding problem. They grew up in the times of singing Father Abraham. Had many sons. I remember I went to my Bible, you know, my high school Bible club. And I brought like three or four friends with me. We go in there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to witness. Hey guys, would you want to come to the Bible club with me today? What? Yeah, we have a Bible club. Okay, okay, all right, we'll come. And the first thing they do, the guy gets up. He's like, all right, everybody. Father Abraham had made it. I'm like, oh my God, help us. 
what are you doing? But they grew up in that. Right. And they grew up in church where church maybe wasn't inclusive of their generation. We were trying to figure out, weren't we, a few years ago? Like, how do we work with, with including the next generation? And, and, then, and then church people were mean for a while. And they're singing songs that they don't really mean. They're lying in church. Like, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my... Like, you're looking at them like as a kid. As a millennial, you're looking at these kids. And these other grown-ups who are singing this song. Like, brother, if you got the joy of the Lord in your heart, it's too deep. <laughs> like, I can't see it. You need to let your face know. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have a branding problem. For a long time, church did not represent something that was joyful, that was inclusive. And so we have all these millennials that have walked away from organized religion, organized church, and they've actually prided themselves on that. They've actually walked away and said, we are justified in doing so. Now we have the boomer generation. Boomer generation is the OG generation. This is the original original generation. And really what happened was after World War II, a bunch of guys came home from the war, hadn't seen their women in a while, and uh, births just spiked. I mean, boom, that's how that whole thing happened. And that birthed a bunch of people in that generation of dropouts. Not everybody, obviously, but they dodged the draft. They became hippies. They're rebelling against everything. Contraceptives and abortions um, became really popular. Popular, And then the next generation, Generation X, is actually a smaller population. So Generation X uh, 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 comes on the scene. That's if you're born between 1960 and 1980. Now, they keep changing it. Sometimes they're like 1977 and 1980. I don't know exactly what the exact date would be, but how many would be kind of considered Gen X? You been Gen X? Okay. How many would be Boomer? You before that. Boomers? Boom in the room. All right. So I'm kind of on the bridge. I was born in 77, so depending on what stats you read, I'm kind of right there. I'm, I could go Gen X. I can go, I can go Millennial. So um, these are all the people, basically, who were represented on the TV show Friends. Yeah. <laughs> that's that generation, right? And, and they're, very, they're given to cynicism. Uh, um, that's kind of what they're known for. And uh, all of you guys are you're shaking your head because you're like, yeah, that's me. And then there's the millennial. This is like 1977 or 1980 to 2000. This is, this is the Walkman era. This is the era of dial-up. Come on, this generation will never know the struggles of AOL connecting through a dial-up. Come on, talk back to me, somebody. They will never know the struggles that we face. This is the, this is the era of the Cabbage Patch and New Edition. And this is the, the MTV kind of was the main voice for that generation. And they don't know anything about 9-11. They weren't touched by that. Matter of fact, yesterday, we sat in the hotel, and I, my four daughters, who are teenagers, they watched the documentary on 9-11, and they, they, they saw it with their eyes glued to the television because they never, they didn't grow up with that. That was a defining moment, just like world wars are for every other generation. That was a moment. You can all take me back to where you were on that day. But not them, because they were one. They were two years old. And, and, and they, they, they really lack relationship. The millennials lack security. They're raised in daycare. They're, both parents go to work after, the, after um, the boomers. And boomers, some boomers have Gen Xers and some have millennials, depending on when they decided to have children. But, but they were told, hey, listen, your ticket to, to your way out is to get a good education. Like, go to college, and then they're promised a job, and then they go to education, they go to college, and they weren't, they didn't have a job. So now this generation's demanding answers. They, they don't trust everything that they're sold anymore, and parents promised them stuff that didn't happen. And now they're, they're saying, listen, I need to know for myself that this is truth, not just because you tell me it is. 
And um, now we have, they've adopted the fears of their, even their moms and dad. And, and now here's a bigger issue. We have a lot of millennials who are planting churches now who think, I know how to do it. I don't need to learn from any other generation. My generation is the generation, and I know how to do it. But how sad when we drop the, the, the baton of honor, how could we ever think that we will ever do anything great for God? And that we stand on the shoulders of every generation. God is a multi-generational God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just one. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? And my wife has been studying this more than I have. She's given me a lot of this information, so thanks, Diana. But she has a passion for this because she's seeing something. It's it's, it's almost a prophetic um, foreshadow of what's to come. As we look at this, there's actually another generation below that. It's Generation Z. It's not just millennials, it's Generation Z. Now, they're rising up and kind of kicking against what millennials have stood for. This lower generation, this younger generation is coming on the scene and they actually value tradition. They actually value family. They're valuing relationship. It's coming back around in a sense. And we're only 18% of the millennials have come back to church or kind of that resurgence. There's now been 24% of uh, Generation Z that are coming back to church. Like they, they see a greater value in that. And it's going to be the largest workforce that we, we know of to date. So the need is now for us to start focusing not just on millennials, but we need to go a generation below them. And to see what is that generation doing? Where, how can we reach them? Because they're bolder, they're hardworking, they're selective about where they're going to college because there's a lot of options of how to get an education nowadays and they don't want to get in debt because they've seen the millennials do that. And so now they're like, is, is that really necessary for me? And, and really, Generation Z is rejecting a lot of what the millennials stood for. And the millennials thought they were the cool ones. And then Generation Z is coming in with a fresh voice, a fresh perspective, their own music now, and everything's changing. And why we need to reach the millennials is so that we can affect Generation Z. We've got to get to the next generation. We've got to reach lower because the millennials have hijacked the conversation. We think it's all about millennials. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes deeper than that. We've got to reach beneath them. Because if, if we just make it all about the millennial, like how do we get the millennial in church? How do we get the millennial in church? You're going to miss an entire new generation that's rising up. That is probably, I, I don't, I, this is, I have to be careful how I say this. But the millennial issues is not just the one generation issue. Like it is multi-generational that we have people stepping away from church and justifying it. We have a branding problem, ladies and gentlemen. And we've got to get back to the place where we understand, first of all, the need to reach every generation, not just one. But but also, like our church, is, it's never been a, a, a one-dimensional, one-generation one kind of church. It's multi-ethnic. Um, it's black, white, Hispanic, Filipino, which is funny because I'm a white boy raised in East Oakland, born in the Philippines, married to a Latina. You know, so that's kind of how that works. But um, So the church is very multi-ethnic, but it's very multi-generational. You'll have, you'll have gen, uh, Generation Z's there. you have some silver hair, everybody in between. And I've, I've always felt like that's healthy. I don't want to just be Generation X's or Generation Millennial. I don't want that. We need the wisdom of those who've gone before us. How foolish of us to only think one generation. It's kind of like the family worship table I've heard taught years ago where if you think any healthy dinner table, it's not just one generation, is it? You have the grandparents at the end, you have mom and dad, and then you have the kids. Now watch this. The table automatically tilts to the kids. Right. But the kids are also learning how to respect grandma and grandpa. And mom and dad are not, I mean, they don't send the kids to another kid's table. They bring them to the family table. (coughs) And a lot of times in the 80s, we're trying to figure that out. We're like, we have a contemporary service. That's for all you young people who want the music loud. We have a, a, a traditional service. That means all the old people come. And we sing songs of the cross and, and hymns. And let's just divide the church. And I'm thinking, what are we doing? Why would we divide the church? It's like grandma and grandpa, you go sit in your room. Mom and dad, you go sit at the table because this is your house. And it should all just be about you. And then the kids, go sit at the kids' table. But don't, kids, don't interrupt us because we're having grown folks talk. 
I'm telling you, if you want to have a healthy family, you bring everybody and you make sure dinner happens together as much as you can every night because that's where conversation happens. That's where training values happens. Come on. So, so church should be the same thing. We are the family of God. We use that verbiage all the time. But we want to separate people and, and put people in silos. And I'm just saying, tear down the silos. Tear away the lanes, which is good for some of you because you don't drive in the lane anyway. <laughs> just, just we're driving together. Sam Eaton, um, he has a great article, and he said this, that two out of ten, watch this, two out of ten Americans under the age of 30 believe that attending church is important or worthwhile. Two people out of ten think church is actually something that they can that would give value to their life. It is at an all-time low. 59% of millennials who were raised in church are now, are, are now dropping out of church. So they reach 18. And why churches are, why it's so important is because at eight, 18, we lose so many people if they don't get connected. Because they're like, this is my mom's thing, it's my dad's thing, I never built any relationships here, I'm tapping out. It's not, and it's, it kind of taps out at a slow pace. It's like every week, and then every couple weeks, and then once a month, and now Christmas, Easter, and now, you know what, I'm just kind of, I'm good. I think I'm good. You want to come to church with me? And we have moms who are begging their children for Mother's Day. All I want is for our family to come to church with me. And they're weeping. My whole family came today. Something is wrong if the only time the whole family comes to the dinner table is for Mother's Day. And Christmas. And Easter. 35% 35% of millennials have anti-church stance now. So it's not just, I don't need church, it's I'm against church. Like, they actually think church does more harm than good. Like, they think it's, it's, it's devaluing our society. And they are the least likely age group to attend church. The millennials are. Only one-third of their generation actually feel like church is necessary and valuable. And millennials, here's why. They don't like it when we have a church... Because for a long time, we would do church and make church decisions without inviting their input. And who wants to be a part of something that you can't help shape or navigate? So they were like just told, this is the way the church is going. And they had no say in it. So they kind of stepped back a little bit. And millennials don't like that. And I would say to you, bring them closer. Whatever age group you're trying to reach, I think this would go across the board to any generation. Bring them closer. Right. Like, I don't, we don't make any major decisions in our church without bringing a bunch of young people in the room. And then we're running it by old people. <laughs> and and we, want, we want people in the room. And when you, when you just tell people what you're doing, you think that you're casting vision. And you take their silence as agreement. Right. And you think they're on board. When they're not on board, they just don't feel liberty to actually give their input. Wow. So, when you help like decide something you take ownership of that something and now you want to build that something and you want to see it succeed so anything that you want to grow change you you want to invite people bring them closer to that because the millennials are no longer impressed by your rhetoric they're no longer impressed by your three points in a poem they're not impressed with that they're impressed with your actions and and service to the community like that, that's big feed the poor men that's big for them they, they love to see service. Acts of service is huge to them. And church um, church has become a lot about church folks. And to them, they got bored. Yeah. Like churches, like I, and I can speak to this because we were this, where we would do really good church. I mean, we had some church. And I grew up Pentecostal, and um, any Pentecostals in the room? Yeah, they always make noise, don't they? Look at <laughs> any Baptists in the room? This is like <laughs> present, you know. <laughs> we love you all, and that's the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Yeah. But I grew up in a, in a in an era where we would do church 
And it would be great church. I mean, we sing for 45 minutes and I preach for an hour and 20. I mean, and then uh, we just do offering. And now I have a couple testimonies, live testimonies. People come up here and testify. Anybody ever given a testimony microphone to somebody expecting them to tell what they told you in your office and they get up and get all nervous and forget what the testimony is about and they just start talking and then five, ten minutes in, they're like, Pastor, do you mind if I take five more minutes? And like, wait, you got the microphone already. I mean, what am I going to say? I mean, just ransacking the place and then altar calls. We just, we do, you know, big long altar calls and we pray for everybody and two and a half hours later, I'm like, we had church today. And then people wouldn't come back. It was great for us church folks. Like, I love worship. My wife and I have led worship and, and it's very dear to our hearts. I love the presence of God. And, I, you know, you know how we do it. Pentecostals, you would just sing a song and you get to that one line. We'll sing this one more time, one more time. And then you lie. Sing it again. You just said one more time. And now you're saying, and, and that's great for us because we're pouring our love on Jesus. We're pour, breaking our box of oil like, I love you. And, and meanwhile, the people who are not church are like, how many more times have they been singing that sentence for 12 minutes? <laughs> and for a lot of millennials, they just kind of checked out and thought, you know what? I, I don't see the need for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is a need for that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they have turned around and viewed it as, I'm going to step away from that because it's not adding value to my life. See, when we come to church, we come to church very selfish at first, don't we? Yeah. Usually people are most open to the gospel when they are broken right. and when they're hurting. And, and so they come. And so you've got to meet them at their point of need at first. Jesus was like, hey, before I tell you about the bread of life, let me feed you. Let me meet a need first. And so there was a moment where, yes, we do need to meet the, the felt need and provide worship experiences that are not just for church folks, but that you could bring your friends to. One of the saddest testimonies is that we had a lady at another church, a friend of ours, she would invite people to church like crazy, but just never hers. She said, you would like Sean and Diana's church. She sent probably 30 to 40 people. Wow. To, just That weren't church. They're unchurched people. You just say, hey, I want, you need to go to church. Here's the church you need to go to. Because she was embarrassed like to come to her church. She knew she knew they would be turned off. Right. Like how many know some churches ought to have a sign? Like you got to be this tall to ride this ride. Because it's wild in here. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. So church became a lot about us. And, and the millennials just kind of stepped back and thought, I don't want that. Yeah. And here's what I know. They're drawn to radical, radical compassion. They love to meet the needs of the poor. They love social justice. All oh, social justice is amazing to them. But be careful. Because justice is not justice unless you're giving them Jesus. That's right. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's real big right now. Social justice. Social justice. That's great. We thank God for Brad and Angelina Jolie for what they do in areas around the world. But unless you're giving them Jesus, right. Joel Osteen's father said, what good does it do to feed someone, clothe them, if they still don't know God and end up not in heaven? Amen. So be careful with that. But I would, I would say to engage with that. They love controversial issues. Like they love preaching. Like when you preach a message on sex, no, you'll show up. If you preach a message on what's going on in our nation, they'll show up because they love that stuff. And now you got to be careful that you don't start, you know, just trying to do it for shock treatment or anything like that. But I want to encourage you not to shy away from that stuff. And I would also say they they're tired of fake. They're tired of phony. Because the previous generations have said, you come to church and you put your Sunday best on. And you don't you don't you argue in church? Don't you chew gum in church? Like we didn't do anything in church. 
How many ever been to church like they just ought to have a banner that just said no on the front? Because like you can't do nothing in there. You couldn't run in church, you couldn't chew gum in church. I had a ch- literally there's a church in Oakland that we used to rent for another experience, and it had a sign on the door that said this: no food or drink in the sanctuary. Jesus is coming soon. Like, God forbid you had a latte and the rapture took place, brother, you wouldn't make it. I mean, just... What are we telling? What are we telling people? So, they grew up in a generation where people were fake and phony, and obviously, we're all fake and phony to some degree, but they really don't like that stuff. So... Now we've kind of grown up and, and we've kind of correct, course corrected a little bit. Now it's like, hey, come as you are. You'll be loved. And, um, and we dress however you want to. So we got people in suits. We got people in flip-flops and cut-off shorts. Everybody, you can just wear what you want to. And they're starting to understand that. Like, they get that. And, and I have a friend who, he had a sign. This was back in the 80s. Power tie, power suit. You're a Belinda. Uh, down in LA, kind of the yuppie capital for a while, and and um, and so he had a sign in his shirt that said, "Come as you are, you'll be loved." And a lady came from the gym, ponytail, gym clothes. Afterwards, she said to the pastor, "My friend, power suit, power tie. Hey, I really appreciate the service. I loved it, but I'm so sorry." He said, "What are you sorry for?" Well, I, I just came from the gym. I mean, the sign said, "Come as you are," and I thought, I thought I could. From that day on, he took his tie off. <laughs> I'm not saying you can never wear a suit and tie. I think that's great to wear a suit and tie. But the message you're sending to, to millennials, is, it has to be true. Yeah. <clears throat> because they know they know a phony when they see one. Matter of fact, we all do. If you struggle with anger, tell them. They love confessions of a pastor. <laughs> I do. I was on the freeway today, this idiot drove in front of me, everything in front of me. I wanted to give them spirit fingers. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because <laughs> then they start to relate to that. Because they weren't raised with that. They weren't even raised with, like, the older generations. My dad and some of them, they were told, like, don't you even have friends in church. You can't be friends with the parishioners. Like, the generation before them, I remember that one, one guy, amazing leader, he was mowing along one day, someone rolled up, he didn't even talk to him, went inside, changed his shirt and tie, got a shirt and tie, came out to meet the guy who visited him at his house because he wasn't going to let him see him in a t-shirt mowing along. Like, millennials just want you to hang. They, just, they, need, they need you to be you, and you don't have to try to be cool. So if you're older and you're like, man, do I need to get some skinny jeans? No! <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> Because they're not looking for cool, they're looking for genuine. Genuine, Generation Y, some of the greatest people that are the most impacting in like youth culture aren't the coolest. Like they're not the people that you would look at and like, oh my, they're so cool. A lot of the people who are trying to be cool look like they're striving to be cool. And the generations Y and millennials see right through that and like, ooh, you're trying a little bit too hard there, buddy. So just be you, but be genuine. Amen. So be you, but the genuine you. <laughs> and, and have a place where we can take off the mask and be real. Is this making sense? Because yeah. we're try- they felt for a long time that church is unfriendly. And that's one of the reasons, the top reasons why people are not coming to church. Because church is unfriendly. So, so, be the most welcoming environment anywhere. Be the most welcoming environment anywhere. Matter of fact, let's all stand on feet. Stand on feet. 30 seconds. I want you to walk around the room and greet people like you can't stand them. Look at them up and down. Just mean mug. Just like you don't want to even talk to them. Come on. No smile. No smile. Just no smile. Just like you try to ignore them. Just ignore everybody in the room. Ignore them. Ignore them. Ignore them.
felt the difference. For some of you, it's actually hard to actually ignore somebody. You're still smiling. Well, I know you guys. You're like, yes, I can't do that. So me. Do you know how many churches greet guests the first way? Wow. I, I, there was a lady that came to our church. She said, I went to another church, small church, 50 people. So they knew I was there. Nobody talked to me for a year. A year, ladies and gentlemen. So we have a branding issue. People don't want to come to church because they think it's they're mean. They, they don't they don't like people. Well, we have to we have to change that. The way you greeted people the second way is how you ought to greet every single person who walks through the door. Like hot five, get down on the knee to talk to the kids. Like Disneyland is smart. They don't ever talk to you. They talk to your children, yeah. and it does something to you. So it's it's a branding issue, and we're trying to reintroduce the church. Here's what it's like. It's like a bad restaurant. <clears throat> that hangs a new sign that says, Under New Management. Why do they do that? Because they know they've had a bad reputation. They're trying to say, Come try us again. That's what we need as a church. The millennials, they need to know. We're under new management. Like we are, come experience the difference here. That's great. So be the most friendly place in your entire city. And write this down. They want to be mentored, not preached at. We get so impressed with our sermons. Oh my goodness. Honey, did you, did you hear what I said? Did you tweet that? Like that was tweeted as Twitterable. And we put so much effort into it, which I think you should. Um... But Paul said, we have 10,000 teachers. What we lack is fathers. I don't know if you've ever felt fatherless before. I don't know if your biological father wasn't there. Or abusive. Or if a spiritual father was absent or tanked. But it does something to you on the inside. It messes you up. And I think it's a plan of the devil because if he can get you to think that your biological father is absent and abusive, you now project that on your heavenly father and think that God must be absent and abusive. Come on. So it is, a, is it, it is a plan of attack. I was at a conference one time on a panel and they had a bunch of us younger pastors up there and they were like, what, what is, what's the greatest need of your generation? Nobody was answering, so I grabbed the mic. I said, Fathers. We need fathers. And let me take it a step further than what I initially said. We have a lot of mentors, but we lack fathers. You say, Well, what's the difference? Let me explain it in one sentence. And this is what I said at the conference. I never thought about it before, but it just kind of came out. A mentor is somebody you can call, a father is somebody who will call you. And you can't father everybody. But you can train up people in small groups to father. People in the millennial generation are looking for relationship. They crave it. They're going to have it somewhere. But they actually need healthy relationships in the church that are going to help them take the next step. They actually are, 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 um, are at a place now. We're at a place where if we don't reach lower to the next generation, we're in big trouble. David said this in Psalm 145, verse 4. He says, One generation declares your works to another. If we don't reach the next generations, we lose. That's right. And your church begins to move into extinction. How many have ever been to a church that there's 25 people, they're all silver hair, they're singing the old rugged cross, and they just like it that way? And, and, and now other, they're, they're going to die off. And if we don't pass it on to the next generation, again, family worship table, it automatically tilts to the younger generation, but it can't all be about them. 
So we've got to we've got to t- teach them how to sing a hymn every once in a while and respect grandma and grandpa. Right. And to bring up bring up some older people on stage and say thank you for serving, do what you do. We planted this church in their house. If it weren't for them, you wouldn't be here. I mean, it's it's the family dynamic that brings them together. And I think it's the same for every generation. So let me give you the four things we do. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose. And make a difference. We want Sundays. Sundays, ninety-five percent of the people that get saved do so on a Sunday or a weekend worship experience somewhere. So that lets us know that church can't just be about us. It's got to be about those. What's yeah? Know God, and you'll hear this tomorrow. I grow. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So really, those are broken down into the four things we do. Know God is Sundays because we want to introduce God to you. And then find freedom. That's in relationship through small groups because James 5.16 says, confess your faults and your sins one to another and you'll be healed. You want healing that comes in the context of relationship. You need some people who will stab you in the front. (laughs) Who will love you enough to call you to the mat. And the millennials need small groups, but they need some healthier ones. They're already grouping. Everybody groups. You just need some healthy ones. And then we need people to discover their purpose. That's growth track. That's the four things you'll learn tomorrow about how we plug people in. It's our assimilation plan. Because we need to connect people to their purpose. Not just another thing like, hey, I need you to volunteer. Well, I can volunteer somewhere, but if I'm not passionate about it, I'm not staying. In our church, we would get, I can, listen, I can talk to you into volunteering somewhere. But in three months, you're coming to me saying, Sean, mm, I'm burnt out. I heard that phrase every month for seven years. And we haven't heard it in the last seven years because we don't. I don't want you. I don't want you serving in an area that you you're not good at. Like if you hate people, we don't want you greeting at the front door. <laughs> Sign up for IT or something. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you just got that, didn't you? All the IT people are like, whoa. Uh, but when you do what you're gifted to do, you don't burn out. It just energizes you. You talk to you talk to like a guitar player. Hey, do you ever get tired of playing guitar? What are you talking about? They're on the guitar in the morning before they go to work. When they get home, they're in the band. They're playing. They're practicing. They're just they love it because it's what they they're good at. They're gifted at. We need to find millennials calling. Like, dude, you're amazing. Be generous with your words, and what you see in them, say. You're so you're such a greeter. Why don't you stand here and greet people? You're so, man, your personality, just reach in and pull the potential out of them. Because they want to change the world. They just don't know how. And then our dream team, that's the fourth, the, the fourth one where you, we want you to make a difference. That's, that's, and I, don't, I wish I had more time to go into that, but um, there'll be a lot tomorrow on this, these subjects. And uh, I'm talking about growth track tomorrow as well during the, the, the growth thing. So I'll, I'll dive into this a little bit further. But you need, you need them to be serving. Yep. Yep. Why? Because you need more volunteers in the church? No. Because it does something in them. Right. When they serve, they take ownership. We have a, millennials, they'll come to church, but they don't want to get involved at first. And they're just like, hey, let me just sit so it's sour. And as they're sitting and they're like checking church off their to-do list, they feel religious, but they leave empty. And so what we need them to do is actually connect to God, their God-given pur- purpose and design. And when they do that, they take ownership. It's not just the church I go to occasionally. This is my church. So... Um, Generation Z, they're, they're too young to remember 9-11. Again, my daughter's sitting there as someone's jumping out of a building because they weren't there. They didn't watch that. So this generation grew up in political and financial turmoil. The recession? I mean, the politics the last 20 years? Come on. And as a result, they're more frugal with their money they're a little bit smarter. Um, they're, they they want to make the world a better place. I, and it's scary because I saw this one guy. Um, I can't remember his name. He was a rapper. His music TV award show recently. And Dinah, would you say he's Generation Z? That one guy we saw? No, Generation. He's millennial, Generation Y. So he's Y. I think he'd be on the border, though. Yeah. So he's Y and uh, millennial. He, he does this rap. Everybody's like, woo At the end, 
this boy starts preaching. I mean, he's like, what? I mean, just going for it. What's his name? Chance the Rapper? Or what is it, Logic? It was Logic, I think. Yeah, because Chance is a Christian, I think. And Logic is this other dude. I don't know his background. The dude can rap. The dude preached. He was like, we need to come together, regardless of your race, regardless of your age, regardless of the gender, unity. It was like moving, but there was no Holy Spirit. And I said to my wife, I said, I said, the world is learning how to preach minus Jesus. I was at a Stevie Wonder concert. I love there's a river. I love Stevie Wonder. And so several years ago, we walked out. Because he starts playing his music. It's all amazing. He hits a moment, like in like an interlude, and just starts going. We need to heal, heal everybody, heal the community, heal. And if, and if we just come together, unity is what we need. And if we have unity, cancer will be healed. If we have unity, lives will be changed. If we, and he starts preaching. Minus Jesus. The world is learning how to preach a lot of things that the Bible teaches, but they've removed the source. I'm telling you, we are in that generation. I believe there is no greater day and generation to be the church than right now. I believe we are on the precipice of something amazing. I believe that we are on the forefront and we are going to tra- blaze some trails for future generations. And I believe that Generation Y, Generation Z are ready. They have, they have the passion. They want to change the world. But they are misdirected because we have, we have failed in our job to make church appealing to them. So they want to take all of the resource and all of the idea, ideology of church unity and reach the poor and do all these things but they've forgotten the source Jesus we've got to do our job to bring them back and say Jesus is still the way he still is the truth he still is the life he wants to give you an abundant life and we're going to bring them closer to make that happen I believe that these are the greatest days to be alive and here's what I would say well let me give you two more stats 60% of the Generation Z want to change the world. 60%. They want to do something that changes the world. 39% of millennials want to change the world. So, we, we have to do three things. Number one, we need to give them something to believe in. Give them something to believe in. They want to believe in something. They, they want to. And then number two, give them something to belong to. Let them take ownership of the church. I remember I sat down um, probably 10 years ago and I showed um, a, a video of, of another church, amazing worship con- conference, and I, I took all of our millennials uh, at, at the time or, and, I, and I said, listen, watch this video. And I looked at them and I said, this is where we're going. This is 10 years ago when we were struggling with some stuff and we wanted to quit. And there's a lot more to the story, but I, I was trying to paint a picture, like a vision. This is what we're building. You see that? You see how they're doing that? That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And we learned from some proven models to get there. But you got to give them something to belong to. They want to belong to something. So give them something to belong to. Because there is no greater organization on the church and in the world than the church of Jesus Christ. But they just need to know how they fit. They need to know that they're wanted, that their voice is valuable and it carries weight. But we just can't let them drive all the time. If they're brand new, like I love my girls, I love them so much. And when they were five, six, seven years old, they would have just, all of them, let me drive, daddy, I want to drive. They're in the car, but I'm not letting them drive. So if they're new Christians, they can direct where we, you want us to go. Where do you want to go? I get in the car. Chuck E. Cheese. I'm driving. Let's go. I get them there. But they had input. Yeah. So you're the pastors. Maybe you don't let them drive right now because they're brand new to the Lord. And maybe their theology's off a little bit. Where do y'all want to go? Not just anywhere, but 
you know, is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Let them have some input. Let, give them something to belong to. And then get them in small groups at the church where they can gather around coffee tables and coffee shops and yeah. basketball courts yeah. and, and belong, belong, belong. It's a great need. And lastly, you want to give them something to give themselves to. Give them, give them something to believe in. Jesus and his church. Give them something to belong to. Small groups, dream team. And give, give them something to give their lives for. Like they want to give their life to something. They respect that. They honor that when people do that. And you have the greatest possible thing to give them. Challenge them. I was at Kevin Gerald's church um, for a conference. It was just a teen church conference he does. And I was so amazed. It was amazing. At the end of the conference, he said, if you're 30, I think it was 30 and under, and you are now going to commit your life to Jesus and His church, I want you to stand and come. It was a conference, so not a Sunday kind of thing, but come on down to the front right now. We're going to have a ceremony of you giving your life to the bride of Christ. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millennials. I mean, uh, were they millennials? Yeah, millennials came down and their hands raised, and he led them like a like a wedding. Today, I'm giving myself to you entirely, like vows type stuff. It was holy, man. I'm giving myself to the church to build the church for richer or for poor, in good health. And I mean, he went for it, and it was just like. And I said to him. This needs to take place all over the country. Where people are now recommitting to the bride of Christ to build his church. Jesus is the head. The church is his body. And he is the savior of the world. Amen, everybody? Come on, stop your hands if you say it. Come on, everybody. Wife, come up here. And, uh, yeah, come on up here, too. Yeah. Let's, let's have, um, I think we just have one stool. And we're gonna do a little Q and A. All right, is that cool? You guys have some questions? Yeah. And we don't we don't profess to be uh, experts uh, in this. There's some great men and pastors in the room, but let's just real quick. I'm gonna repeat the question because I think we're being recorded up here. So if you have a question, go ahead and we'll repeat. You talk about pastors mentoring that next generation, and yet we have a, a generation of pastors now that never had a father or mentor, and you're wanting them to be the role of a father mentor to that next generation. How would you uh, guide and answer we were that. that to those pastors? We were that. I think uh, Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's a generation like you and a generation like me that you felt fatherless. I believe the Lord has allowed you to fill the way of that so you could be the best father and know what they're missing. So now you're going to take everything you wanted from a father and be that. I, I honestly believe God is, is recycling that in, in this yeah. generation. Because yeah. there is a lot of us that felt fatherless. Maybe not spiritually, maybe not you know physically or, or biologically or whatever, but... But I believe a lot of you have had a great, you, you had a lot of great uncles and you had a lot of great aunts, but you didn't have fathers. And um, I want to encourage you now to be what you wanted to someone else. Yeah. That's right. Did you say it? Well, the question was, what do we do for a generation that didn't have a good, record, a good father figure? You want to talk on that? Yeah, because we were that. Um, our our spiritual father tanked, so to speak, came out of the closet so in sorts and so many words. And so that really um, challenged us in our um, growth as leaders. We were very young. I married a millennial. He married a Gen X. Come on. I'm not necessarily a cougar, but I am a puma. Come on, girl. Puma. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Just saying. Girl got game, all right? So, <laughs> just teasing because I know it's really tense. But anyways, to say that, to say that is um, because we, it was such a pivotal moment in both of our lives, um, we always crave that. So to answer your question, sir, from a female perspective, um, 
I believe the Lord allowed us to sense that fatherlessness because we are ministering to a fatherless and motherless generation. They don't know what a a dad is. They don't know what a mom is because they were raised in an atmosphere where it was like daycare. Other people were raising them. They were raised with technology. They weren't experts at technology, but they were raised around it. Um, And so you had um, their community being either um, digital or internet. Um, or being shaped by other people's voices. And so you had a very insecure generation. They're not very um, uh, willing to give their all to someone unless they have proven themselves. And so we have proven ourselves in our community. And there are many of you right now that you have proven yourself in your community. You have a reputation. You have weight. You have integrity. You have character. And that's what they want. But they want to make sure that they're going to put all their eggs in a basket in someone that has some kind of longevity, some kind of reputation, some kind of good works behind their good name. So um, if you are um, struggling either with fatherlessness or motherlessness, I'm here to tell you that that God will bring you along people that will adopt you if you do not have that. So you could turn around and pour it into the next generation. So that's my that's answer in short. That's really good. I'll just say this. That, that, there's a hurt in that. You know? <laughs> You're going, I want to minister here, but there's this hole in my heart. And I would, I would challenge anyone that's feeling that way to, to go, God, who are some people? Because there are men that can be a father to you. Yeah. They just need to know that you're in that place. That's good. And a lot of times we walk around hiding that and trying to like act like we're not all together. Yeah. I yeah. found myself as a 38-year-old man without a father, without a pastor. I never mm. had that in my life because I'd been abandoned and everything else. Yeah. And then God brought Ark into my life. Yeah. And in That's this good. network, I have found fathers. I have found pastors that that I, I literally just was on the phone last week moving through some stuff in ministry. Who do I call? Some of my fathers yeah. in this house. And so yeah. let let the church be that to you and let there be those people in your life. you got be, you got to reach out for it, right? Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Who else? You in the back? Um, in our church, we're experiencing a tremendous generation of divides. It's like a divide of the boomers and the angels. And all of them are fighting over who's right. Who's yeah. And um, we're struggling primarily because my leader is a baby boomer, um, and it's difficult trying to convince him of the seriousness of this particular issue. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what advice, because we hear this content, it's very powerful, and kudos to you, awesome presentation, yeah. but we're millennials, and we're processing it, we have passion about this information. Yeah. How do we develop the strategies to influence leadership to in some way take it seriously? I think that it's a big question. Mm-hmm. I'll restate it for the recording. <laughs> yeah. um, gentleman said what do we do in our church there's a big divide between the generations uh boomers and millennials yeah okay um that's a great question man um i don't know so next question no (laughs) (laughs) some of what millennials struggle with is honor and when they feel they're right they, they throw honor out the window and they just demand their right. And um, you can't... Jesus couldn't even do any miracles in his own town because there was no honor. So to teach the millennials, let's honor like crazy. Let's be, let's be submissive like crazy. Because you're not... Submission's not even tested until you're asked to do something you don't want to do. And so um, to teach, to rally the millennials to support in such a way where where the, the boomers would take notice that that of the honor and say, let me lend my ear now to this. <clears throat> For instance, um, if somebody comes at you sideways that you don't have a relationship with and they don't honor you, how will you respond? Uh, you'd be like, man, you can get up off of me. I don't know you. But for somebody who loves you, who's, who goes over the top to honor you, like we have some interns that just, we have 50 interns here that are serving, and they just, they serve like crazy. And because of that heart, I know their heart for the church. If one of them said, hey, Sean, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, yes. The answer would be yes, because of how they honor and serve. So instead of demanding your right, your, your right to be right. So good, Sean. Um, you have to come back and say it's a team effort because it's just like a marriage. 
the devil wants to divide, he doesn't care what he's dividing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's church or marriage, he's just dividing. It's kind of like I played basketball growing up, and, and sometimes I would grab the ball with my own teammate. Both of us have the... And everybody's yelling, same team! Right. Right, 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 right. Same team! You're the same team, but the devil's gotten in there. So I would start with honor until I would honor like crazy until they would lend me an ear. And then I would I would paint a picture of what, what could be with us. Like, hey, if I could say anything, if you know, come humbly, if I could say anything to reach the loss, because I know that's your heart, here's where I would go. I would start with that. Anybody else? Some things only come out but by fasting and praying. It's true. Mm. Come together. You know that group? Okay. Uh, there's always a leader amongst leaders. Whoever is in that next generation, you know that group and you know those people that will follow him and you know those people that will follow you. You all come together and go to God about it and fast and pray until something happens. Good. Fast good. and pray. It's good. Yeah. The. Um, Age group that you guys have in your church again is more millennials, more. Kind of mixed, I've heard that you reach about ten years up and ten years down from your personal age. Um, we would probably have a lot of thirties and forties. I'm, I'm thirty. I'm. Um, I'm uh, <laughs> in early thirties. When you guys preach on Sundays, how is the relevant, you know, like the message being relevant to the different age groups? In the so the question is, how is the message relevant to every age group? It's easy. Really easy. I learned how to preach in kids' church. Any kids' pastors here? Come on. If you can preach, here's what I found. All the illustrations... Yeah. The humor, the way I communicate, I learn how to preach in kids' church. If I can make the gospel relevant to an eight-year-old, I can preach to anybody. Because everybody enjoys the same type of preaching. If I bring a tumbleweed on stage, everybody's attention is like, what? He's got a tumbleweed. What's that about? <laughs> I shot up with a lot of humor because I believe that if I can get you to laugh, I can get you to listen. So initially, when you when you first hear somebody, it's, it's like, okay, do your thing. What are you going to tell me? That's that's how we approach church. Yeah. So when you come up here, a little stupid joke about a Nickelodeon set and a microphone, I had you. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a, in, a, in like a controlling way, but my heart is I'm I'm praying, God, let me tear down any wall so that I can just reach your heart. So, even if you're not funny, you can be funny with a joke or something, but use illustrations. It's harder to be um, relevant than it is to go deep. Any of you pastors can crack open the book of Romans and go deep right now. But you need, they're looking for how two steps. So you're stuck in like the depths of the glory. I mean, just, and you're like, but my marriage is falling apart. Can you help speak to that? My child hasn't st- t- spoken to me in 12 years. Can you speak to that? You're like, yeah. so like, hit, hit, I would say to make sure there's humor, to make sure there's illustration, not every Sunday, but um, you can speak something that's across the board relevant to every generation. Anybody else? That's great. No, you covered it. Yeah, no, that's good. To your, to your comments on that, how do you feel that millennials... What do you see the millennials feel about like structured services, services to like a specific time frame, or do you do you think that millennials feel more um, like where things are kind of more spontaneous? I'll do that real quick. I mean, they're in a culture right now. Think about it. Where everything's <coughs> boom, boom, hit it. Next, next. And so you're not going to get them to sit in an hour and a half, two hour, go on, hour and 45 minute service, right? But you have to be able to go, hey, here's what's up. And what you're going to guard most importantly in that whole time is the culture of everything that's happening in that church. If the culture in that church is genuine, authentic, loving, they're going to be attracted to that. But, I mean, I can get up on a Sunday morning and like, and I, I try not to do this, tank, right? Like you're not trying to do that. But I know I can tank. And, and just kind of do okay, but man, somebody's going to come back. Why? Because I got that hug that changed my life at the door. I got that, right? So I, to answer your question, I do think you have to pay attention to your time. I think that's the question you're asking, right? Yeah, absolutely pay attention to your time. And, and 
then on top of that, mm-hmm. doubly pay attention to your culture because that's what's going to grab a hold of their hearts, right? Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to just respond really quickly and we'll go to you as soon as possible. I, in order to answer your question, just from a female perspective, I'm the culture creator at our church. And so um, what we've learned as far as um, as far as the dynamic of services, we like it short and sweet, especially in our area. We are a commuter um, kind of suburb of San Francisco. So people are used to driving two to three hours in traffic going to their job. That's like on a normal you know, no traffic kind of day it would take 45 minutes, but for most of them, it's about two to three hours. So on a Sunday, imagine sitting two to three hours for a church service, not happening. So um, you have um, millennials to um, Generation X and also baby boomers to Generation Z and even younger. Um, we're realizing more and more, since it's a, such a broad spectrum of our community, they like it short and sweet, so an hour would be great. We would have about maybe 15 to 17 minutes of worship, and then um, maybe a switch of an introduction, like a host. After that, um, either um, the word, which is about maybe 35 minutes to 30 minutes, and it's getting shorter and shorter, people. No longer are the um, indulgences of an hour of a message but you could say what you need to say in seven minutes that's what we found out plan it okay so when we say spontaneous it all depends what you mean it's like we want to feel the spirit well you could feel the spirit and sense the spirit and the holy ghost all in one because i'm a culture girl i'm not just latina i'm a little bit of kebab a little bit of soul food and a little bit of you know um puerto rican rice you know what i'm talking about we could throw down in the kitchen but i'm all of that and more and so you're, you're talking to all kinds of cultures and, and um, uh, generations that really need that right now. Yeah. Uh, so um, do I need to end? We, I apologize. What time is it over? I'll make it so short well, and sweet. Well, the next session is like three. We've got to give them time to transition. Okay. There yeah. All right, guys. That's all the time. Is that all the time? Yeah. Hey. Hey. Just one more question. Guys, can we give it up for Pastor Sean? The next session starts at 3. We want to give you guys some time to transition, all right? And, and so um, you guys got to get moving. Bless you guys. We'll see you.